0: dying in our place. God, we thank you for bringing us near when we cry out to you. If we just reach out, your word says that we can be worse. God, thank you so much for this Christmas season, and we thank you so much for the reminders that each year it brings. The God of the universe, the one who created everything, came to be with us. I thank you for the children that gave their time, the families that gave their time and sacrifice, God, to lift our eyes and our hearts to you, Jesus. God, I pray now as your word is open that we hear it, that it penetrates our hearts. God, I thank you for the family that you have provided, the family here at this church and really the body of Christ as a whole, God, that wherever we go, that we know that we praise our Savior, the one who came and died on the cross for our sins. And we look forward to seeing him again, even perhaps today. God, I thank you so much also, God, for the the fact that we have a place that you are preparing for us, that the God of the universe would look down and say, I want you, I choose you to be mine, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. God, what a gracious God you are. We thank you, we love you, we pray all these things. In Christ's name, amen.
1: Well, good morning, church. Were you blessed by that? This is one of the things that we are so thankful for, is to be part of a multi-generational church. And all these kids that come each week, and we are committed to uh, discipling them because they are not the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today. Many of these kids have professed faith in Jesus Christ and have been baptized, and they are living for Him and growing. And I'm just so thankful for Tim and Michelle and all of our student worship leaders this morning. They did a great job. Hopefully you were encouraged by that. Uh, Now we're going to turn our attention to God's Word and our thoughts this morning direct us towards Christmas. And If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them up to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. If you're a guest with us, welcome to Salem Heights Church. Uh, we are thankful that you are here, and uh, we would love to answer any questions you might have about our ministry, but we just we, we are thankful for everybody who has come this morning. Maybe you're a grandparent or a family member of one of these little ones. Uh, welcome to our church, and uh, we, we love God's Word, and we want to be about that this morning. And our hearts hopefully have been stirred by the sounds of those little voices. I, I don't know about you, but for me, uh, it gets me emotional. I, I'm not a big crier, but uh, I'm glad it's dark in this room during those songs because uh, I get choked up every time I hear little voices worshiping our Savior. Our text this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, is a familiar one, but perhaps not a verse or a set of verses that we would naturally put with a Christmas message. But I believe that our time this morning needs to be a family time, a devotional thought that kind of reorients ourselves with the true meaning of Christmas. You know, there's a lot that can overwhelm us during this time, and there are a lot of ideas in our culture for what Christmas really stands for, what it's about, what its purpose is. And so we need to make sure that we take time to kind of refocus ourselves as we've come together this morning, and God's Word will help us with that. Uh, For some, true Christmas is a a time of cheer uh, during the cold and depressing time of the year. It means lots of food, getting together with family and friends and giving each other gifts, uh, being kind to one another and helping those in need. That, that's probably a, a combination of a lot of different responses. If you were to ask the question, what does Christmas mean to you? What is it about? But I would offer this morning that Christmas means something much different, something much different to a believer. In fact, Christmas is actually the celebration not just of a baby, but God coming in human form. Christmas is more than just a Savior's infancy, as John MacArthur puts it. It's about his deity. And that reality gives you and I a legitimate reason to celebrate this time of year. Our Savior came down to take away our sins. So I don't believe we can consider the manger in the Christmas story and not have our attention then move on towards the cross. Because this baby came not only to be cute, not only to bless a parent or to bless siblings or to make an impact in the culture in which he would grow up or to be a good person or a good teacher or a role model for those who would come after him. No, he came down from heaven to take on human form so that you and I could be delivered from our sins. And so this reality should stir our affections this morning for Christ. And that's my hope, is that as we take time reading his word, that we would leave here rejoicing in the fact that we have been given such a generous gift from God, the gift of salvation. That's what this morning is going to be about. You know, the giving of gifts is a long standing tradition uh, during this time of year, and I was doing a little bit of research and I, and I found uh, some statistics for this year. There's a, an organization called the National Retail Federation where they kind of track spending during different times of the year. And they estimate that this year in 2018, again they haven't, they're estimating because it hasn't concluded yet, but just in what they call the holiday gifting months, November and December, they estimate between 717 to $720 billion being spent on holiday gifts this year. And they took a survey from these people of what consumers enjoy most about the gift-giving process. 33 top, percent, the top vote-getting, 33 percent people said that they love it because of family tradition. They just love the gift-giving. They have these traditions in their families. Maybe you have those as well. And so they participate in buying gifts for family traditions. 22 percent, the next highest commonly given answer was they just enjoy the Christmas decorations, and they love being around the different shops and stores and all the different things that they see around and the music and the friendly faces, and they like to be a part of that. The third highest answer was this. 17% said they like the hunt for the perfect gift. Now, this can be a struggle, especially in, in our day and age when we live in an e-commerce society where uh, we can kind of just exchange and let people know what we want them to give to us. Um, but finding the perfect gift for someone is a struggle because I believe a perfect gift has three specific qualities. The first is that it has to be practical. The perfect gift has to be practical. The second is that it has to be thoughtful. In order for it to be a truly perfect gift that I'm really going to enjoy, it has to be thoughtful. And the last one, it has to have value, but not in the way that you might be thinking of it because when we think it has to have value, we might be thinking many, many dollar signs after it. But I think a perfect gift has to have these three components. What I'd like to show you from Ephesians chapter 2 this morning is that I believe the gift of salvation, the gift of God, the gift that God has given us, has all of the qualities of the perfect gift. And I hope our attention will be drawn to that as we look into his word this morning. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 is our text. Would you stand with me and honor God's word? We will read our text this morning and make a few observations. The Apostle Paul says in verse 1, "...and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh." indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Is that good news? It is. You may be seated. Father God, we come to you now in this portion of our morning after being blessed and encouraged by these little voices, singing praises to you for sending your son. God, I pray that you would now help our hearts and minds settle in on what this passage has for us. And God, help us to now be reoriented with the gifts that you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. I remember giving gifts to our oldest. uh, The very first Christmas, it was just the three of us at that time, my wife and our oldest son, Jamin. And there was something exciting about giving gifts to him and kind of seeing his reaction. And, And it's probably the same for you. Uh, If you've gone through this with either grandkids or little kids, it's that sometimes we can be really excited to give somebody a gift, but we can get multiple responses based on the gift they've given, like what we've given them. And I remember being so excited for these toys that we had bought Jamin, I thought he would for sure love the things that we had purchased for him, but really at at one, he was mostly interested in in the box and, and the wrapping paper. And I learned a lesson, per, I could save a lot of money just wrapping boxes. I still try that now at 13, it doesn't work as well. Uh, but I said, you used to love this. And But I, I know even uh, over the last couple of days, uh, we've had just the opportunity, because giving generosity is an opportunity, right? To give a few gifts. That, and there is some excitement that we get. Some, there's some, some good feelings to kind of watch somebody anticipation, like open it. But it kind of, there's a moment, I, I, last night we, we gave a gift to a friend and they were surprised by it and they started to open it and you, they kind of lo, kept looking up like, oh, you know, what am I going to find in here? And it and kind of hit me at that moment, this fear of like, oh no, what if they don't like it? <laughs> Have you ever had that? Where you put some time into a gift and the person kind of looks at it and goes, oh, okay, thank you. Because why? Maybe to them, does not have much value? It it had value, you spent maybe money to buy it or the time to make it, but to the person, they don't necessarily see how that's going to be something they're going to enjoy or how it's going to meet a practical need. The gift giver in us always hopes for the first response, that when we give a gift to somebody, they are tearing the wrapping paper off, opening the box, and exclaiming, It's just what I always wanted! That's, that's the gift giver's hope. But the reality is, um, it doesn't always happen. There are three qualities, again, to a perfect gift. that I believe the gift of salvation has all three qualities. I believe the gift of salvation is a perfect gift, but in an eternal nature. And the first quality that we see is the gift of salvation meets our greatest need. When we, when we consider the gift of salvation, when we, when we unpack Ephesians chapter 2, when we read that you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins, it should cause us to really look at it and go, when we consider what we were and we see what he's done and we see this gift that he has given to us freely, it should exclaim, we should exclaim, it's just what I always needed. And perhaps we even say, it's what I continue to need every day, moment by moment, this gift of salvation. Paul says here in verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He's not talking physical death, he's talking spiritual death. We have been given a physical body, we've also been given a spiritual uh, being, and, and that is going to uh, be forever forever and the cause of sin not only the curse of sin is physical death that we will all face unless the lord comes back before then but that, that when we sin we become spiritually dead we become separated from god we become separated from a intimate fellowship with our creator where we can be in fellowship with him and allow him to guide our lives this death here is hopelessly dead you have to hear the weight of verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. When I read this verse every time, I don't know why it is. This is just me. But I, I think of that scene in the movie Princess Bride with Miracle Max. Oh, no, no. He's only mostly dead. <laughs> no, that's not the instance here. It's not matter. you know, some people, yeah, they were dead because, man, they're just, they're rotten people. But, you know, for me, I, I still had some potential. I had some I had a few still nuggets that I could dig out and give to God and and really earn his favor. No, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. You know how many sins it takes to separate you and break off fellowship from God eternally? One. Paul goes on to clarify here that he's not just speaking, because his audience here, Paul is writing to a Gentile audience. They are non-Jewish people primarily, and he's saying, you were far off. And, and just so they don't think that he's kind of setting himself up being better, he's saying, you know, I, being a Jew is better than you, a Gentile, one who's inside the God's chosen people compared to those who are outside of God's chosen people. He goes on to say here in verse 3, among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh as the rest. Paul is saying this is a universal problem, and you and I all face it. We are all dead in our trespasses and sin at one point. We all have these influences that he mentions here in verse 2, that we are all being controlled. Because we are dead in our sins, sin now has a control over us. We think we're in control, but we're actually not. And the forces of this world, these things that it talks about in verse 2, these opinions of culture, and and we have to realize that Satan is real and he has influence and power, uh, that these things are influencing us and they are are causing us, they are enticing us to give into the inward battle that we're also facing, the desires of the sinful flesh that want nothing to do with God. And he points out here that the results of sinful living are that we're really heading nowhere. We think we're going somewhere. We think we have a path. We think we know we've got this goal in mind, and if I can just get on the right path and make good decisions and be disciplined, I'm going to achieve this. Paul says we're heading nowhere. We're dead. Romans tells us that the desires of the flesh lead to death. They don't lead to life. If we do what our selfish, sinful heart wants apart from God, it leads to separation from him. It will never lead us to God. It will never restore what we broke. It says that we are indulging. This, this speaks to a weakness that we have, where we basically give control over to all the things that actually drag us away from a relationship with God. And then we're living in turmoil, constant conflict. We are children of wrath. And then this glorious transition appears here in verse four. I mean, it is glorious. It it sets up pretty bleak in these first three verses, right? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You are not good. And then we see, but God. It almost jumps out of the text as, as suddenly as those heavenly angels appeared to the shepherds who were watching their flock by night. Boom, out of nowhere. The sky is filled with angels, it tells us. In this text, it says, but God, when when we feel the weight starting to press us down, and going, man, this is not a pick-me-up passage, I was dead, I was hopeless, no thing I could do in myself to restore what I had messed up, it says in verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, when we were dead in our transgressions, what did he do? made us alive together with Christ. You see, it's against the backdrop of our sinful condition that we will capture the vivid beauty of the gift of salvation. If we don't look directly into the reality of how sinful we are, the gift of salvation will never be as bright as it actually is. So we rejoice in the fact that yes, we were dead, but now we've been made alive together with Christ. The gift of salvation is just what we needed. It's the first quality of a perfect gift. It has to be practical. It has to be useful. The gift of salvation is just what we needed. Does that gift excite you? But there's another quality that the perfect gift must have, and it relates to the aspect of motivation. I don't know if you've ever caught, been kind of in a, in a situation where you had to kind of give gifts and it felt like more of an obligation than a, than a choice that you're making on your own. It's like we're going to exchange gifts and basically you tell me what you want and I'll tell you what I want. And we might as well just eBay each other or like PayPal each other the amount of money because we're just transactioning money. There's not a whole lot of thoughtfulness that goes into it. Sometimes that can be uh, something that really kind of robs us of the joy of gift giving. But I don't know about you, but for me, sentimental gifts seem to have more value. If you were to come over to my office, you would see on my desk uh, a number of little knickknacks. To you, they look insignificant. To you, they'd have really no meaning at all. But they're little things that my, my kids have made for me that I would walk in to, uh, sometimes it's, it's on my pillow in, in my bedroom, or sometimes it's just been stuck into pages of one of my books or my Bible, and it's just a little note from my daughter or a little, little bookmark that my son made back in second grade. These have no meaning to you, but they have great meaning to me. Why? Because they were not done under compulsion. They were not done because of obligation. At some point in their little mind, they reflected on their love for their dad, and they took the time to make that for me as an expression of their love. Those gifts mean the most to a lot of us. Little knickknacks. The first things we would grab if we had to get out of the house because it was on fire. The gifts that reflect effort and thoughtfulness always mean more. And that leads us to the second quality that we see here in the gift of salvation. And it's this. The gift of salvation was given out of love, not obligation. But God, it says here in verse four, being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, even when we were dead in our transgressions made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards Christ Jesus. This gift had to be the demonstration of love because we were still dead It wasn't as if he was obligated to us. We had offended him. It wasn't as if we had something in in ourselves that really drew him to us because of what we had done. No, by nature it says we were children of wrath. We were rebellious. We wanted nothing to do with God. But he loved us with a great love. I mean, think about it. How many gifts did you buy this year for people who have wronged you in the past year? How many big, beautiful wrapped boxes under the tree with those bows that spent a lot of extra time to curl, you know, 10-inch ribbon curls, whatever it is? I mean, like, you spent the time to, like, make this look pretty, and it's for that person that has offended and wronged you the most this year. You might have a present, but I'm sure it's not nice what's inside that box. We don't do that. But the love of God was motivated not because of anything he saw in us. It's because he loved us. He created us. He has determined our value. And he has said, there is nothing that I would hold back from you. There was nothing that I wouldn't give to provide this gift of salvation to you, to provide an opportunity for you to be restored in your relationship to me. This is supernatural, incredible, Non-human love. And when we receive that kind of love, when the gift that is given reflects that kind of thoughtfulness and love, doesn't it mean more? Tim Keller, on his book on Christmas, quotes C.S. Lewis and a comment that C.S. Lewis made in regards to the incarnation of Christ. Him, God the Son coming to earth in human form. It says this, in the Christian story, God comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down further still, if embryologists are right to recapitulate in the womb, ancient and pre-human phases of life, down to the very roots and seabed of the nature he has created. But he goes down to come up again to bring the whole ruined world up with him. One may think of a diver, first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down through the green and warm water into the black cold water, down through increasing pressure into death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, then up again, back to color and light, his lungs almost bursting till suddenly he breaks surface again, holding in his hand the dripping, precious thing that he went down to recover. This is what you mean to God. That he was willing to come down to a ruined world, ruined not by anything that he did, but what we had done. And not just to come to try to give us self-help tools to help us correct our own problem, but to go deeper and deeper and to take on the problem on himself and to do what none of us could do so that he could bring it back up and make it alive again. He could restore that treasure. Do you see the depth of God's love reflected in the gift of salvation? Do you see it meets our greatest need. And it is a demonstration of the love God has for us. But there's one final quality that a perfect gift must have that I believe we see here in the gift of salvation. And it has to do with its value. know, in today's uh, day and age, uh, it can be t- sometimes difficult to buy a gift for the person that seems to have everything. Or, or to find a gift that that person couldn't just go out and purchase themselves. So to really be a good gift giver, to be like the 17% that says, I love the challenge of hunting for that perfect gift. That's going to be practical, that's going to be thoughtful, and it's going to have value to this person. It takes a lot of work because a lot of us are able to, to have things. We, we have things that maybe uh, someone else could have given to us, but we already have them. But a perfect gift has special value. It really is priceless. And, and priceless in the way that there's nothing, there's not an amount of money that you and I could save up to purchase it. And this is true about salvation. You see, the third point is the gift of salvation is something we couldn't give ourselves. So it makes it a perfect gift. In verses 8 and 9, we see this very familiar passage. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is a gift. It is the gift of God. And being a gift, it means that it belongs to the gift giver. It is his possession. We couldn't purchase it. We couldn't earn it. We couldn't create it on our own. He had to give it to us. That's why it's a gift. And he did. But the value of a gift is also established by what it cost the giver. The baby in a manger would be a man on the cross. And the love of God, the riches of his grace and mercy, his kindness towards us says, there is nothing that would prevent me from giving that to you. It's going to cost me dearly. I'm going to send the son of God to earth. He's going to take on human form. He's going to live a life perfectly, even though he's going to face temptation of every kind. He's going to start a ministry for, for just a few short years, but during that ministry, he's going to face harsh opposition. He, there are going to be people that want him dead. There are going to be people that deny him. There are gonna be his own friends that are going to turn their back on him. And then he's going to go through a a trial that is unjust, and he's going to receive a beating that was extreme, and he's going to hang in the most humiliating form of death on a cross. And he's going to do that for you and for me. What a great cost. And yet he gives it to us freely. The benefit that was secured by his death, burial, and resurrection. Because that's the good news, right? That's the gospel. That he didn't just come as a baby and then die, but that he rose again, conquering sin and death. And now he says, Here, take the gift. Take what I have secured through my death, burial, and resurrection. It's yours. It's offered to you freely. Take the gift. It has great value. Do you treasure the gift? Do you treasure the gift of salvation? Have you ever gone to someone's house after you've given a gift and you kind of kept a, a wandering eye to see where they're using it or if it's on display? <laughs> ever done that? Where's that spatula I got you? <laughs> or, 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 you know, how are you really using this? And, and we kind of looked to see if they did it because why? We, we, again, we wanted it to be the perfect gift. We wanted it to be practical. We wanted it to meet a need to be useful, We wanted them to be excited to use it. But the best gifts that we ever receive are the ones that we enjoy, are the ones that we actually use. God's desire is that we would not only receive his gift, that we would not only believe in the good news, that we would listen to Ephesians chapter two and go, that's me in there. I'm part of the all, dead in my trespasses and sins, but God provided this gift of salvation. God wants me to believe that. He came to Earth and went to great lengths to provide that for us. He wants us to believe that. He wants to give us new life. He wants to give us fullness of life. He is an abundant God. He, Paul uses words in this passage of riches grace and mercy, all these things that are undeserved and yet he just gives them to us freely. He wants us to receive it, but then he doesn't want us just to take it and put it on a shelf. He wants us to enjoy it. He wants us to walk in it. He wants us to take advantage of now all that is now available to us through salvation. God's desire is that we would not only receive his gift, but that we would enjoy it. Are you enjoying the gift of salvation this morning? Verse 10, it talks about how we have been now made new. We are his workmanship. What God has made us into is something of a masterpiece. It's something that only a a brilliant artist or sculptor could do. It's supernatural. And now he has created us a life that he wants us to walk in. Things that he looks at and says, that's good. Why? Because that's what I'm about and I'm using you in that and you're surrendering to that and you're walking in the life that I have laid out for you rather than continuing to follow the desires of your flesh and trying to create a life on your own. Good works have been prepared for us, so let's walk in them. In Christ, there is newness of life. This is the gift of salvation. This is the greatest gift given to mankind. And it's the perfect gift. It meets our greatest need. It was given to you and I out of love. And it has irreplaceable value because of what it cost him to give it to us. But it's been made available to all of us this morning. I hope as we consider this and as we now uh, leave this morning and begin to start Christmas festivities, maybe you already have this weekend and you begin to spend time with your family, My hope is that you would spend time reflecting on the gift of salvation. And that as we pass out physical gifts and we enjoy the time with family, and there's nothing wrong with that, but those would be a reminder of the greatest gift that we've been given. And that there's no gift that we will receive over the next couple of days that is greater than the gift of salvation. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for this gift that you've given to all of us so freely. And Father, I believe that this morning that we maybe needed to pause and reorient ourselves with this truth that, that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but your love was greater. And you sent your son to come and provide a way for us to be saved, to be made alive and put back into relationship with you. God, for those of us who are following you this morning, I pray that you would help us reflect over the coming days the gift of salvation, help us to treasure it, help us to enjoy it, help us to be great, deeply grateful for what it is. But Father, if there is anyone here this morning that possibly has not received this gift, would you, through your power of your Holy Spirit, prompt them to say yes and to receive that, to confess that they too are dead in their trespasses and sins and that they want to be made alive in you. Would they believe in your gospel? and receive the greatest gift they will ever receive in their lifetime. I pray that your powerful spirit that rose your son from the dead would work in the hearts of those who have no relationship with you and that they would start that today. God, we're so thankful that we can come to you. Thank you for this gift of salvation.
0: We pray it in your son's beautiful name. Amen. We're going to invite you to sing the song that was introduced to us earlier by our kids. And ask that question, what can I do? And all God is asking for us today is to answer that by giving our lives to Him. Let's sing this together. And what could I do?